Question 6. Your Exalted Holiness has written at thousands of places that it is not legitimate in any way to declare anyone who recites the Kalma, the Declaration of Faith in Islam, and faces towards the Qibla as disbeliever. This clearly shows that except for the believers who turn disbeliever by pronouncing you to be a disbeliever, a simple failure to believe in you does not make one a disbeliever. But to Abdul Hakim Khan, you have written that everyone to whom the message has been conveyed and fails to accept you is not a Muslim. There is a contradiction between this statement and the statements recorded in your earlier books. That is, you have written earlier in Tiryakul Kulum and elsewhere that failure to believe in you does not turn one into a disbeliever, but now you write that disbelief in you makes one a disbeliever. Answer it is strange that you consider the one who pronounces me to be a disbeliever and the one who does not believe in me as two different kinds of persons, whereas in the estimation of God there is only one kind. For one who does not believe in me does so for this very reason, that he considers me to be an imposter. But Allah the Exalted says that one who forges a lie against God is the greatest disbeliever from among the disbelievers, as he says, who is then more unjust than he who forges a lie against Allah or gives the lie to his signs? Surah Al-Araf, chapter 7, verse 38 of the Holy Quran. Meaning that there are only two kinds of arch disbeliever, one who forges lies against God and the other who denies the word of God. Footnote, sorry. The term unjust here means a disbeliever. The context is that like the imposter, one who rejects the book of God is termed unjust. Without doubt, one who rejects the word of God is a disbeliever. As such, one who does not accept me declares that I am a disbeliever by considering me an imposter. Therefore, he himself becomes a disbeliever on account of rejecting me. Footnote end. In the opinion of one who rejects me, I have forged lies about God, and if so, I become not only a disbeliever but an arch-disbeliever. But if I am not an imposter, then without any doubt his disbelief shall recoil upon him as promised in this verse by God Almighty himself. Besides this, one who does not accept me does not accept God and his messenger either, because the prophecy of God and his messenger about me is on record. That is, the prophet of God, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, have prophesied that the promised Messiah shall come from amongst his ummah in the latter days. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also said that on the night of Miraj, Ascension, he saw Masih ibn Maryam among those prophets who had passed away from this world, and that he saw him in the second heaven with Yahya, the martyr, John the Baptist. Furthermore, God Almighty has stated in the Holy Quran that the Masih ibn Maryam had died, and to bear witness to my truth, God manifested more than 300,000 heavenly signs, and the solar and lunar eclipses took place in the heavens in the month of Ramadan. Then how can such a person be a believer who does not believe what God and his messengers say, who repudiates the Holy Quran, who deliberately rejects the sign of God Almighty, and declares me an imposter despite hundreds of signs? And if he is a believer, I would be deemed a disbeliever on account of my fabrication, for to him I am an imposter. Allah the Exalted says in the Holy Quran, in Surah Al-Hajrat, chapter 49, verse 15 of the Holy Quran, meaning that 
the Bedouins of Arabia say, we believe, tell them, you have not believed, you should rather say, we have submitted, for faith has not yet entered into your hearts. Therefore, when God does not call those who have submitted as believers, how can those people who blatantly reject the word of God and do not desist from repudiating me, despite witnessing thousands of signs manifested by God Almighty upon the earth and in the heavens, be believers in the estimation of God? They themselves appear that I am not an imposter, but I am a believer. Then in that case, they have themselves become disbelievers after declaring me a liar and a disbeliever. Thus, after pronouncing me a disbeliever, they have set the seal on their own disbelief. It is the dictum of the Sharia that the one who pronounces a believer to be a disbeliever, he himself becomes a disbeliever in the end. Now that two hundred clerics have pronounced me a disbeliever, and an edict was also issued imputing disbelief to me, and it is also evident from their own edict that one who declares a believer to be a disbeliever himself becomes a disbeliever, and the one who declares a disbeliever to be a believer becomes a disbeliever too. Now therefore, the situation can easily be remedied, provided they possess a grain of honesty and faith and are not hypocrites. They should publish a detailed proclamation concerning these clerics, mentioning each one of them by name to the effect that all of them are disbelievers because they are guilty of pronouncing a believer to be a disbeliever. Then I shall consider them to be believers, provided that they do not retain any vestige of hypocrisy, and do not deny manifestly visible divine miracles. Otherwise, says God Almighty. In Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 146 of the Holy Quran, meaning that the hypocrites shall be cast into the lowest depths of hell, the Hadith also says, meaning that no adulterer when committing adultery and no thief while stealing is a believer. How then can a hypocrite in the state of hypocrisy be a believer? If the doctrine that by pronouncing a person a disbeliever, one becomes a disbeliever himself is not correct, then let them show me the edict of their own clerics to this effect and I shall accept it. But if one does become a disbeliever, then publish an announcement about the disbelief of the 200 clerics, mentioning each one of them by name. After this, it will be forbidden for me to entertain any doubt about their profession of Islam, provided they do not happen to suffer from any taint of hypocrisy. Footnote starts. As I have stated before, a person becomes a disbeliever by declaring a disbeliever to be a believer for he denies the disbelief of one who is in reality a disbeliever. And I see that all those people who fail to believe in me consider those to be believers who have declared me to be a disbeliever. Thus, even now, I do not consider the people who face the Qibla to be disbelievers, but how can I consider those to be believers who have brought about the grounds for their disbelief with their own deeds? Footnote end. Question 7. What is meant by, the message has been conveyed? Answer, there are two essential requirements in conveying the message. Firstly, the one who has been sent by God should inform the people that he has been sent by God and should warn them of the error of their ways, that they are wrong in such and such of their beliefs or are deficient in such and such of their practices. Secondly, 
he should establish the truth of his claim with the help of heavenly signs and arguments based upon logic and scriptural evidence. This has been the way of Allah that he first grants his prophets and messengers the respite whereby their fame spreads to a large part of the world and people become aware of their claim. And thereafter, he conclusively proves their truthfulness to people with the help of heavenly signs and rational and scriptural arguments. And it is not impossible for God to grant fame in an extraordinary way and to bring the argument to perfection with manifest signs. Just as you see the lightning flashes at one corner of the sky and spreads to the other corner in a single moment, in the same way, the messengers of God are vouchsafed fame by the will of God. His angels descend upon the earth and instill into the hearts of the auspicious people that the paths they have chosen are not right. It is then that such people begin to search for the right path. On the other hand, God Almighty creates such conditions that help the news about his Imam of the age to reach such people. In particular, the present age is such that in a matter of days, even a notorious robber with all his notoriety, can become well known throughout the world. How can it be then that the elect of God who are ever accompanied by God should not be renowned in this world and remain obscure and God should have no power to grant them fame? Footnote start. This relation about me was recorded in Brahina Ahmadiyya 25 years ago. This revelation belongs to a time when I was leading a life of solitude and except for a few of my father's acquaintances, no one even knew me. The revelation is as follows. You are to me as my tawheed, oneness, and tafrid, uniqueness. Thus the time has come when you shall be granted help of all kinds and you shall be renowned in the world with honor. To mention the promise of granting fame in conjunction with Tawheed and Tafrid constitutes an indication that to be famous with glory and majesty is truly the prerogative of God Almighty. Then whoever is the recipient of the special grace of God due to his extreme effacement in God becomes worthy of partaking of the Tawheed and all traces of separation are removed for him. It is then that God Almighty invests such a person with fame, honor, majesty, and glory, just as he does it for his own self, because Tawheed and Tafrid confer upon him the right to attain such honor. Footnote end. I find that the grace of God Almighty is with me, such that God Almighty has already ordained such means for the disseminating my arguments and the propagation of the faith of his noble prophet that were inaccessible to any previous prophet. Thus, in my time mutual contacts between different countries on account of railways, telegraph, the postal system, and of transport by sea and land have improved so much that all the nations of the world seem to have become one country, or even one town. If someone wants to travel, he can return from a worldwide trip in a short span of time. In addition, the writing of books has become so easy and simple and such printing machines have been invented that, whereas earlier it was difficult to inscribe a few copies of a voluminous book even in a hundred years, we can now print hundreds of thousands of its copies in a year or two and publish them throughout the country. Moreover, there are so many facilities for propagation in every aspect as were totally non-existent in our country hundred years ago. 
If you cast a glance at the previous 50 years from today, you will find that most of the people were illiterate and ignorant. But on account of the abundance of schools which have been established even in villages, people have now acquired an ability to easily understand books on religion. On my part, I have endeavored to communicate the message by personally visiting some cities of the Punjab and India, like Amritsar, Lahore, Jalandhar, Sialkot, Delhi, Ludhiana, and others. I have communicated the message of God Almighty in large gatherings and presented the beauties of Islam in the presence of thousands of people. And I have written some 70 books expounding the truth of Islam in Arabic, Persian, Urdu and English, about a hundred thousand copies of which have been published in Muslim countries. To the same end, I have published several hundred thousand pamphlets, and by the grace of God Almighty and His guidance, more than three hundred thousand persons, as of today, have repented of their sins at my hands. And this process continues at such a fast pace that each month, hundreds of people continue to enter into the covenant of allegiance with me. Footnote start. Once I had 16,000 leaflets concerning the truthfulness of Islam translated into English and published in European and American countries, which also got published in many English newspapers, those leaflets were sent to places in Europe and America where people were unaware of the beauties of Islam. An Englishman, Mr. Webb, who lived in America and was not a Muslim yet, came across those leaflets. After that, he embraced Islam and remains a Muslim up till now. Footnote N. People of foreign lands are not unaware of my Jamaat. In fact, my message has reached even the countries of America and remote countries of Europe to the extent that in America many people have joined my Jamaat and on their own had many leading American newspapers publish my prophecies regarding the extraordinary earthquakes as proof of my signs. Some of the Europeans, too, have joined my Jamaat. I need not mention the Muslim world, for as I have just stated, more than 300,000 people have entered this Jamaat and people have come to know of thousands of signs. Most of them are pious and of good disposition. Footnote start. Alas, that those who raise objections against the integrity and sincerity of my Jamaat do not themselves exercise honesty and fairness. Some members of this Jamaat have displayed such examples of their steadfastness, the like of which is difficult to find in this age. For instance, a God-fearing and fair-minded person should look with fairness at the steadfastness of Malvi Abdul Latif, the martyr, and ponder whether anyone in the world can show a better example of steadfastness than this. Malvi Abdul Latif was a magnificent scholar of Arabic disciplines of learning. He had spent his entire life in teaching hadith and commentaries of the Holy Quran. He was a recipient of divine revelation too. His followers and students numbered nearly 50,000. He also occupied an honorable status in the world to the extent that, in the sight of the emirs of the state of Kabul, he was recognized elder and scholar of the age. In the British domain, as well in the state of Kabul, he owned a large estate. He gave up his life for acknowledging my truthfulness. He was remonstrated and urged to renounce me. But he said, I am not a fool. I have come to believe on the basis of my insight. I cannot give him up, but I will give up my life. The emir counseled him a number of times, saying, You are an esteemed elder. 
people are agitating. Considered expediency of the time, he replied. I give precedence to the faith over the world. I would rather not lose my faith. I know that the one with whom I have pledged the covenant of allegiance is in the right. He is better than the entire world. He indeed is the Messiah who was to come, and Isa is dead. At this, the clerics raised a clamor, saying, He has become a disbeliever. Why should he not be killed? But the emir still held off killing him. In the end, this excuse was put forward that these people renounced jihad, inasmuch as one should not fight with sword against other nations for the sake of faith. Of course, Mawli Abdul Latif did not deny this allegation and said, This indeed has been promised that the Messiah shall be helped by God from heaven and that jihad is now prohibited. And then he was most mercilessly stoned to death and the members of his family were arrested and banished to some far-flung corner of the state of Kabul. Some of his followers joined our Jamaat. Now show some shame and remorse and reflect as to how can Abdul Hakim ever be compared to the eminent scholar who was so highly honored both in worldly and religious matters, and sacrificed his life for me. If he, who is totally unaware of the Arabic disciplines of learning, turned apostate, what loss did the faith suffer? Similarly, Imaduddin, who styled himself as a Mawi, turned apostate and became a Christian. What harm did he, Imaduddin, inflict on Islam that we would think that he, Abdul Hakim too, would cause some harm? Same is the case of Dharampal, who has renounced Islam in these very days. What damage did he do? In the vast world of love, apostasy is indeed unavoidable. Whom could fire consume if there was no Abu Lahab? Question 8. Although we believe that mere barren tawhid, belief in oneness of God, cannot ensure salvation, and that no one can attain salvation by performing any deeds, after having distanced oneself from the obedience to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Yet we beg to ask what are the meaning of the verses cited by Abdul Hakim Khan, for instance. Surely the believers and the Jews and the Christians and the Sabians, whichever party from among these truly believes in Allah in the last day and does good deeds, shall have their reward with their Lord. Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 63 of the Holy Quran. And as the verse, Nay, whoever submits himself completely to Allah while he is excellent in conduct shall have his reward with his Lord. Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 113 of the Holy Quran. And the verse, Come to a word equal between us and you, that we worship none but Allah, and that we associate no partner with him, and that some of us take no others for lords beside Allah. Surah Al-Imran, chapter 3, verse 65 of the Holy Quran. Answer. Let it be clear that the promulgation of these verses in the Holy Quran does not mean that salvation can be achieved without believing in the Prophet. Rather, what is meant is that salvation cannot be achieved without believing in Allah, the one without any associate and in the last day. Footnote start. Divine practice in the Holy Quran is that at places there are details and at places it employs synopsis.
and it is necessary for the reader to interpret synoptic verses in such a way that they do not become opposed to the detailed verses. For instance, God Almighty has clearly declared that shirk, association of partners with God, shall not be forgiven. But the Quranic verse, surely Allah forgives all sins, Surah Zumar, chapter 39, verse 54 of the Holy Quran, appears to contradict the verse that says shirk shall not be forgiven. Therefore, it will be heresy to interpret this verse in a sense which is contrary to categorical and decisive verses. Footnote N. And complete belief in Allah is possible only when one believes in his prophets, inasmuch as they are the expression of his attributes and the existence of something is not proved until its attributes are manifested. Therefore, the cognizance of the exalted maker stays deficient without the knowledge of the attributes of the exalted maker. Take for example the attributes of Allah that he speaks, hears, knows the unseen, and has power to show mercy and to inflict punishment. How can these attributes be believed without knowing them through a messenger? And if the attributes are not substantiated through observation, the very existence of God Almighty is not substantiated, and in this case, what would be the meaning of believing in Him? And a person who believes in God must believe in His attributes also, and such belief will force him to believe in the prophets. For instance, how can it be understood that God sends down His word and speaks without the specimen of God's word? And it is only the prophets who present this word along with its proof. It must also be understood that the Holy Quran comprises two types of verses. One type is muhammad, categorical and explicit. For instance, the verse of Surah Nisa, chapter 4, verse 151 to 152 of the Holy Quran, meaning that there are those who do not want to believe in a way that they believe both in God and His Messenger, and seek to separate God from His Messengers and say, We believe in some and not in others. That is to say, we believe in God but not in His Messengers, or that we believe in some Messengers and not in others, and intend to adopt a halfway course. These indeed are the disbelievers, nay, they are confirmed disbelievers, and we have prepared a humiliating punishment for the disbelievers. These are the categorical verses, the details of which I have just given at great length. The second type of verses is mutashabihat, allegorical. Their meanings are abstruse, and their understanding is granted only to those who are firmly grounded in knowledge. Those whose hearts are afflicted with hypocrisy do not care about the Muhammad at all and seek to follow the allegorical. The hallmark of the Muhammad is that they are plentiful in the word of God Almighty. The word of God is replete with them and their meanings are manifestly clear and denying them inevitably leads to evil consequences. For example, consider this very instance that one who believes in God Almighty but does not believe in his messengers has to repudiate divine attributes. This is illustrated by the new sect of Gramus, who proclaim that they believe in God but do not believe in the prophets. They repudiate the word of God. It is obvious that if God hears, then he speaks as well. Therefore, if his speaking is not established, his hearing remains unproven. Thus, 
Such people become like atheists by repudiating divine attributes. And just as divine attributes are in existence since eternity, so are they everlasting, and they are demonstrated only by prophets, peace be upon them, and denial of the attributes necessitates the denial of the existence of God. This analysis shows that in order to believe in Allah the Exalted, it is critical to believe in the prophets, peace be on them. Without them, belief in God is left imperfect and incomplete. Furthermore, another distinguishing mark of the Muhammad, apart from their abundance, is that they are supported by practical evidence, namely, the continued testimony of the prophets of God is found in their support. Therefore, anyone who studies the word of God, the Holy Quran, and the scriptures of other prophets will find that, just as the scriptures insist upon belief in God, they also insist on the belief in his messengers. And it is the hallmark of the Mustashabihat, that if they are interpreted in a sense which contravenes the categorical verses, discord becomes inevitable, and they would contravene other verses that are in majority. No contradiction is possible in the word of God, therefore the few need to be harmonized with the majority. As I have already pointed out, this doubt is dispelled if one closely studies the word of Allah. The text of the Holy Quran itself clarifies the meaning of the term Allah. It says that Allah is the God who has sent down books, prophets, and the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, so that people should obtain those spiritual stations and ranks which shall be vouchsafed to people for following the noble prophet, because the utterly blind cannot reach the ranks which those who follow the light of prophethood can reach. This is the grace of God. He bestows it upon whomsoever he wills. Since God Almighty has declared the name of Allah to be endowed with all his actions and attributes, then why should we not pay due regard to this essential matter when interpreting the word Allah? It does not concern us in what sense the Arabs used the word Allah before the Holy Quran, but we must restrict ourselves to the sense in which God Almighty has used the word Allah throughout the Holy Quran from beginning to end, namely, He it is who sends the messengers, prophets, and books is the creator of the earth and the heavens, and is endowed with such and such attributes, and is one without any partner. It is true that those who have never had access to God's word and are utterly unaware of it will be judged according to their knowledge, intelligence, and understanding, but it is absolutely impossible for them to achieve the grades and ranks which will be bestowed upon those who follow the Holy Prophet the utterly blind cannot reach the ranks that those who follow the light of prophethood can reach. This is the grade of God. He bestows it upon whomsoever he wills. Footnote start. If this synoptic verse is to be understood like this, then why not believe in accordance with the other synoptic verse? Surely, Allah forgives all sins. Surah Zumar, chapter 39, verse 54 of the Holy Quran, that even idolatry will be forgiven. Footnote end. Now note that the travesty that, despite hundreds of verses of the Holy Quran, which proclaim emphatically that the heed alone cannot be sufficient for salvation, and that belief in the Holy Prophet along with it is also essential, yet Mi Abdul Hakim does not pay heed to these verses at all, and like the Jews, he insists upon presenting one or two verses which are synoptic with his distorted interpretation.
Every sensible person can appreciate that if those verses mean what Abdul Hakim presents, then Islam disappears from the world and the commandments like prayer and fasting, etc., which have been taught by the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, are rendered absurd, vain, and meaningless. If it were true that everyone could attain salvation through his own fancied version of the oneness of God, then rejection of the Prophet would be no sin, nor would apostasy do anyone harm. Thus, it should be remembered that there is not a single verse in the Holy Quran which relieves one of the obedience to the Noble Prophet, even if it were supposed that there are two or three verses that contravene these hundreds of verses, even then, the few should have been subordinated to the multitude instead of adopting apostasy through total disregard of the multitude. In this instance, there is not even one contradiction in the verses of the Word of Allah. It is simply the distortion of one's understanding and the darkness of one's nature. We ought to interpret the word Allah as God Almighty Himself has done, and not like the Jews create a different interpretation. Moreover, it has always been the way of the word of God Almighty and the practice of His messengers that they seek to guide every rebellious and hardened disbeliever by instructing him that if he believes in God in the correct and sincere manner and loves Him and accepts Him as one without any partner, he will then surely attain salvation. The purpose of this discourse is that if they would believe in God fully, they would be enabled by God to accept Islam. The Holy Quran, which these people do not study, clearly affirms that he who truly believes in God is led to believe in his messenger, and his bosom is open for accepting Islam. Therefore, my own practice is also that when an Arya, or a Brahmu, or a Christian, or a Jew, or a Sikh, or any other non-Muslim persists in erroneous reasoning and does not stop it by any means, I tell him at the end that his arguments will not benefit him in any way, but that if he believes in God with complete sincerity, he will grant him salvation on this account. But by this statement, I do not mean that salvation can be achieved without following the Holy Prophet what I mean is that if a person believes in God Almighty with complete sincerity, God will grant him the ability and will open his heart to believe in his messenger. Similarly, my own experience bears out that one good leads to another good, and one righteous deed enables one to perform another righteous deed. A wonderful episode is related in Tazkiratul Aliyah, Memoirs of the Saints. An esteemed saint narrates, once it so happened that it continued to rain heavily for several days. When it stopped, I happened to go to the roof of my house. My neighbor, who was an old man and a fire worshipper, was at that time scattering lots of grains on the roof of his house. I asked him why he did that. He replied, The birds are starved for a few days on account of the rain. I took pity on them, and I'm throwing them these grains so that I may be rewarded. I said, Old man, you are wrong in this thought. You are an idolater because you are a fire worshipper, and an idolater does not get any reward. I came down after saying this. Some time later, I had the occasion to perform the pilgrimage and arrived in the holy Makkah. When I was making the circuits, another person who was making the circuits called me from behind, addressing me by name. When I looked back, I found that it was the same old man who, after embracing Islam, was now making the circuits. He said to me, Have I or have I not been rewarded for the grains I fed the birds? 
So if feeding birds with grains ultimately draws a person to Islam, will someone who comes to believe in the true king, the real omnipotent, remain deprived of Islam? Absolutely not. What kind of a lover is it that the true beloved does not take notice of his condition? My dear, the pain does not exist. Otherwise, the healer is there. It should be remembered that in the first place, Tawheed cannot be achieved completely without following the Noble Prophet As I have just explained, the attributes of God Almighty which cannot be isolated from His being cannot be observed except through the mirror of the revelation of prophethood. They are illustrated in practice only by a prophet, but even if someone should acquire an imperfect appreciation of them, it would not be altogether free from the traces of idolatry until God accepts his flawed merchandise and leads him into Islam. Whatever a person receives from God Almighty through his messenger is heavenly water, which is not tainted by his own pride and conceit, but whatever a person achieves through his own effort always develops some pollution of adultery. This was the very wisdom why the messengers were sent to teach Tawheed. It has not been left dependent upon human reason alone, so that the heat should remain pure and should not become tainted with the adultery of human conceit. This is why the misguided philosophers have never been able to grasp the pure Tawheed, inasmuch as they were afflicted with pride, arrogance, and conceit, and pure Tawheed demands negation of the self. Such negation cannot be effected unless a person sincerely believes that it is a gift of God in which his effort has no part. For instance, say a man is irrigating his field by keeping awake all night and putting himself through hardship while another slept all night and a cloud came and filled his field with water. May I ask, would these two be equal in their gratitude to God? Indeed not. He whose field was irrigated without his labor would be more grateful. That is why the word of God Almighty has repeatedly admonished man to be grateful to God, who sent messengers and taught him Tawheed.